I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, apparently, 92% of our church body is not, but that's okay because the 8% is here, and, and you're excited, and that is great. Um, no, I am excited to be with you guys because I am excited about the text that I have been given, um, and it's just fun to be with you. I'm, um, I was going to say stuck with your kids, but I'm not because I love what I'm doing, but I'm back there so often I don't get a chance to get up here. I did sub for Crossroads a couple of months ago. It was fun to see some of you guys sub for Bloodworth. A couple of weeks ago, it was good to be with you there. Um, but I love being able to do this um, with you guys and examine God's Word. And I know it's vacation season and everyone's here and there and your kids are here and there and that is great. But certainly we can look at God's Word and learn from it together tonight. I love this series. I don't know if you've, you might have been in and out of town. I don't know if you've been um, the last several weeks, but I love this series. It's, it's you know called Discovering God's Grace. Um, in the miracles of Jesus is basically the concept. And um, we're going to look at Luke 8 tonight, look at um, the healing of the demoniac, the demon-possessed man, maybe a story uh, in, in Luke's gospel that you're familiar with. Again, we don't get to choose the text. You know, Jeff Sample hands out the text. And um, Jeff Sample, I, I presume he equates me dealing with junior high students um, with dealing with a demon possession, I don't. I guess that's how, that's how it worked out. He just he just kind of framed it up like that. Uh, but seriously, I do leave. Uh, I do love dealing with Jesus's earthly ministry, um, and especially his miracles. Um, basically, because what what they point to. I have so much fun teaching these type of things, even to the kids, because many times for the first time, um, they're viewing Jesus as not just this magician who does a cool thing and raises a guy from the dead and you know casts out demons. But they see what all that stuff is pointing to. Um, and that's what we get to look at tonight, is that it all points to God's purpose and His plan of salvation. Um, it all points to Christ's ability and desire to free humanity um, from bondage and enable us to worship. Uh, and so our text tonight is no different, and that's what we're going to look at. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. Follow along in your copies. Um, reading from the ESV. But uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26 is where we'll begin. And it begins by this. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, Jesus had. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. 
So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let me pray over that briefly. Father, Lord, we pray that tonight, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would change the way that we think, Lord, and that you would change the way that we live. We ask these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Has anyone, in, I'll be surprised if you have, has anyone in this room seen the movie Grand Canyon? Back, it's, it's kind of an older movie, like nine, 1992. I guess that shows my age if I think that's old. Back in the early 90s, there was a movie Grand Canyon that came out. And um, it's, it's a decent movie, but the thing that captivated me the most was the opening scene of this movie. And it goes something like this. I'll, I'll do my best to illustrate it for you guys without actually seeing it. Um, there's a, a wealthy, kind of well-to-do lawyer, and he is in a, in a very expensive car, and he's in the middle of a traffic jam. And um, in an attempt to kind of beat the traffic jam, he, he tries to go off and kind of escape it. And he's in a city, and what he does, he's taking these back streets that he doesn't know, and it's, it's very dramatic, and, you know, as it goes, the streets get more and more deserted, you know, the alleys get more and more dark, it has more and more of a creepy feel to it, and he keeps going, and, you know, just, of course, because it's a movie, right when he gets to this just very creepy-looking, dark, deserted alley, his nice, awesome car just breaks down. Okay, so it breaks down, and the scene is just, you know, the music's going, and it's very kind of spooky, and he gets on his phone, and he manages to uh, to get a tow truck driver on the line, and says, here's where I am, I need you to come get me, I'm probably in trouble, and all this good stuff. So the tow truck driver's on the way. Well, in the meantime, kind of some kind of a street gang, you know, obviously comes up and find him, and they start kind of threatening him, you know, threatening him, you know, we're going to take your car, we're going to take your money, your possessions, do this, do that, or else, you know, extensive bodily harm, and the whole works. Well, just about that time, as they're kind of coming and bullying and closing in, the tow truck driver pulls up, and he comes up, you know, kind of saves the day. And the gang, you know, they're kind of around, and they don't harm him, and they end up not harming the man whose car broke down. And, and the part that was so interesting about this was this. The tow truck driver, kind of the, the leader of this street gang, he says, come here, and he, he takes him aside. And he takes him aside, and I'm going to read word for word what he says. He says this, he goes, man... The world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that? You see, the tow truck driver here, he, he understood something. The tow truck driver, he understood that something wasn't right with the world. He understood that the picture that he had just walked up to was distorted. Something wasn't right about it. It had been skewed. It had been marred. Now, the difference between the tow truck driver and maybe you and I is this. He couldn't put his finger on what was wrong. Guys, because of the Holy Spirit and his illumination of God's word and his law, we can put our finger on what's wrong. And here's what it's called. It's called sin. It's called sin. And a large part of what we're going to examine tonight is the seriousness and the crippling effects of sin. And we see that big time in the text that we just read. We see it in this man who had been distorted and marred and skewed. So how is God's grace found in this miracle? You know, if that's the big overall point of this whole series, you know, where do we see God's grace in these miracles that Jesus is performing? Where is God's grace found in this miracle? Here's the thing I want you guys to leave with tonight. 
Someone asked, what did Landon preach on? Here's what I want you to be able to say. Christ's saving work conquers the effects of sin and restores us to worship. Christ's saving work conquers the effects of sin and it restores us to worship. That's what we see. Restores us to worship. That is, after all, our original um, purpose in being created. You see, God's intent in creating us was to create worshipers in His image. Think back to the garden. Sinless, painless, thornless. Then what happens? Sin enters the equation. Sin distorts or mars the image. And through God's plan of redemption and, and restoration, we're brought back to a right relationship to the Father through the completed work of Christ. That's the gospel, front to end. And guys, what we have in our text tonight is an illustration of Christ's power over sin and over its crippling effects. We have an illustration that through Christ we're restored, as the text says, to our right minds, to the freedom from sin. I want to explain something real quick before we do jump in. I'm going to show you three things from the text. Is this, perhaps... Um, one of the first things that jump out to many from this text is the issue of of demons. You know, we're looking at a demon-possessed man, so all of a sudden your mind might jump to, ooh, demons. You know, is he going to do kind of a 30-minute study on spiritual warfare or satanic power or, you know, Wiccans or whatever? And I want to read you a quote that I agree with 100%. It's by C.S. Lewis, um, kind of concerning this matter, and then we'll move on and be done with that. Here's what he says concerning kind of this issue that, that, that we're facing. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons or spirits, whatever you want to say. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and magician with the same delight. I say all that basically to say this, guys. I believe that the point of this text goes much beyond mere demon possession and what comes with that. What the text points to is exactly what the series is all about. It points to God's grace found in Jesus Christ healing this man or forgiving the sins of this man. And it shows his authority and his power over the, the distorting and marring effects of sin. So for the next few minutes that we have, I just want to unfold three Quick, simple things that hopefully you can use um, in your daily walk with the Lord um, that should give us a deeper understanding of Christ's saving power and hopefully a refreshing taste of, of God's plan of, of salvation. So let's look at that real quick. The first thing that I want to look at in our text is this. First thing we see is this. We see the effects of sin. That's what we see through this text. We see the effects of sin. Look in verse 27. I'm going to read 27 to 29. Listen how this man is tormented. It says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Well, what's wrong with this guy? Well, here it is. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Look at verse 29. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. As this guy had been affected heavily and deeply by sin. That's the representation here. Let me illustrate for you. Um, we have a fax machine right back here in the church, which I know it's surprising. Fax machines were so 90s. You know, it's, it's all computer now. But occasionally I'll get a fax from someone who has to fax something. I'll have to sign it or look over it and send it back. Well, I went up here. I had a fax the other day. 
And um, someone had faxed me a picture. And I knew what the original picture was supposed to look like. The original picture was in color. The original picture was sharp. The original picture was clear. The original picture was beautiful. Well, you know what a fax looks like. You know, it's the paper that... I don't even know how they make that stuff. It's stretchy and you can't tear it, yet it, you know, weighs, it's really cheap paper. And, you know, it's just bendy and the facts and the, the ink is just smeared all over. Basically, the, the, the picture that I had gotten over the fax machine had been severely distorted. It had been skewed. It had been twisted. It had been marred. It wasn't the original image whatsoever. I could kind of make out what it was supposed to be, but it had been distorted. Guys, sin does that. Sin has done that to our world. Sin has done that to humanity. Sin distorts things. Sin twists things. Sin skews things. In our text, Luke is telling us four important things, outward things about this man who had been possessed. He says this. He says he was naked. He said he lived alone. He said he had supernatural strength, like a beast that would tear out of chains. He said he was frequently found in the places of the dead. Um, Mark's account in his gospel adds another thing, saying, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Guys, it's hard to imagine a more pathetic situation, is it not? It's hard to imagine a more pathetic situation. Once a normal man who wore clothes and who was connected to other people by relationships and who didn't have the strength of an animal breaking out of chains, and, and, and who wasn't hanging out in graveyards, now had been completely marred. He had been completely distorted. Guys, what we're seeing is this. What we're seeing is this. We're seeing a vivid portrayal of what Satan's rule means for humanity outside of Christ. You see, this man who was created in God's image, that's what Genesis 1.27 tells us, God created man in his image. In his image, man was created now reflects the image of demons. This man who was intended for outward righteousness, who was intended for internal peace, was all of a sudden, because of the effects of sin, he was naked and he was horrid and he was restless and he was in utter turmoil. The effects of sin are serious. They reach everywhere. And guys, let me make this point. Before Christ, we're inwardly no better off than this man. We're no better off than this man. And before we go, oh, well, sure, this guy was marred by sin. I mean, he was, he was demon-possessed, of course. But, but, you know, not, I mean, my coworker, or, or, you know, my sweet aunt or the mailman or my neighbor, you know, they might not buy Christianity, but, I mean, come on, they're not followers of the devil. Guys, Paul addresses this very thinking in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. You're probably familiar with it. Let me read it. Ephesians 2 says this, and you're all familiar with this first part, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Listen, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That certainly increases the seriousness of the effects of sins, does it not? Even looking at this issue of, of original sin, the fact that we're all born into sin, you know, that's something that's hard to communicate. And I see it increasingly, it's harder and harder to communicate that to our youth because of, I think, just our postmodern culture. And, and we, we live in a culture of entitlement. And we live in a culture that says, well, shoot, I mean, I, I'm not responsible. 
I mean, they, he did that. That's fine. You know, this is my way. I'm not responsible for that. Well, what does Romans have to say about this? Let's look. Um, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to see it. Romans chapter 5. Unbelievable. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. It was a type of the one to come. It's Jesus. The effects of sin are in everyone and they're everywhere. That's a serious thing that we have to get. And let me apply this to your life before I move on. Because everybody in the world likes to blame someone else for its problems, doesn't it? Where we, we find someone to blame for the high gas prices. We find someone to blame for, for increased taxes and the war. And we find someone to blame for what's on TV. And we, we love the blame game. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know why things aren't how they should be? Do you know why things are not how they were intended to be? Why do we have to have software on our computers? that keep our kids from going to gross, sexually explicit websites. Why every week that we get prayer requests as a staff is the word cancer somewhere on there? Why do we, why do we have to put fences around our house and car alarms in our cars and locks on our doors? Why is, why is this world not the way that it was intended to be? Guys, it's a simple word. It's called sin. And the effects of it are serious. The effects of it are reaching everywhere and affects everything. It's not that, oh, well, man just hadn't made it there yet. We're still evolving and we're getting there. We're making some great moves. It's not, oh, we just need better and stronger leadership to pull us together. It's not, oh, well, we need to pull together more. It's sin. And sin does to us what these demons did to this man. It twists and it distorts. You know, think of anyone you've ever dealt with who's, who's dealt with substance abuse. Can you see how sin has distorted that situation? Think of anyone um, that, that you've dealt with or personally dealt with the issue of pornography. Do you see how that takes something that was God intended and right and it twisted and it distorted it? What I want to apply to your life, I think it's important that as believers in the world that you understand two important things about this concept. One, that sin is serious. And two, that we found the solution to it. That we have found the solution to it. And it's not us. It's not world leadership. It's the saving work of Christ. And that's the second thing that we see in our text. We see not only the effects of sin by this man, this demon-possessed man who's just gone nuts, but we also see the effects of Christ's saving work. We see how he's restored this guy. Restored is such a great word because I think there's so many illustrations that your mind can wrap around. For example, a good buddy of mine just bought a 1967 Mustang. Fabulous-looking vehicle. He won't let me drive it, but it's awesome to look at and ride in. I mean, just awesome paint job. You know, they just refurbished and restored the thing perfectly. Well, why did it need to be restored? You think about it. 1967, it's made. Okay, well, it's, it gets dinged up. It gets scratched. It's going to get faded. You know, a lot like Dennis Wright. He was probably born around then. It just, you know, it gets dinged up. What well, needed to be restored? And that's exactly what they did. They wanted to restore it or refurbish it to make it look like what it was originally intended to look like. That's what restoration is. And that's what the effects of Christ's saving work is. You know, one of my favorite verses of a song that we sing around here every Christmas is found in Joy to the World. And here's the verse, you're familiar with it. It says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Guys, I love that because the effects of sin are everywhere and have touched everyone, but the blessings of God's solution to that sin is also found, what it says, wherever the curse is found, which is everywhere. Let me dissect a few verses real quick that I think point to Christ's work explicitly. If you could take the first half, and the first half was this, this demon-possessed man, just look, I mean, you can clearly see illustrated how sin had affected his life. Now we're going to look at this middle section that is clearly illustrating um, Christ's work to restore him. And concerning Christ's work, we see two big important things. We see his power to do so. We see his power and his authority over the demons, over the sin. But we also see his purpose in doing so. And that's what I want you guys to be encouraged about. His purpose in salvation. His purpose in conquering sin. Illustrating his power, they look in verse uh, 28 there, if you still have your Bibles open. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Here we see the demon's ability to recognize and identify Jesus. Think about this. Just a few hours ago, when he's, he's calming the storm, even Jesus' disciples didn't know who he was. They're going, Who is this? Who is doing that? Even the demons had the ability to recognize and identify who Jesus was. Now, this could be written to make us aware of of how even demons see Jesus, or it could also be a reminder that, that a bare knowledge of Jesus as the Son of God doesn't mean true salvation necessarily. We could reference that to the to the book of James where that same thing is mentioned. Yeah, the demons believe that there's one God. Well, we also see Jesus' power over the demons in verse at the end of verse 28 when they say, I beg you, do not torment me. And then in verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The man who had recently broken out of chains and was just wild and crazy and had unbelievable strength, he didn't even contemplate opposing this Jesus. You've probably heard this and you're probably aware of this. A Roman legion consisted of of 6,000 mighty soldiers. Now here in the text it's used figuratively. It doesn't mean necessarily that 6,000 demons were inside the man. It could have have meant two, it could have meant hundreds, it could have meant thousands, but it's used figuratively here. And yet they're begging not to be tormented. This man had no power in himself to oppose these demons. And I want to tell you this, nor do we. Nor do we before Christ have in our own power the ability to oppose sin. And yet what's being illustrated by Christ's power is that He can do what we cannot do. He has power over sin. Now the part there about how it says, you know, they begged Him do not com- uh, begged him not to command them, and it says, so He gave them permission. It's not 100% clear why Jesus um, granted the request of the demons to be cast into a herd of pigs, but it doesn't matter because here's the underlying point. Christ had the power and the authority to deal with sin. It didn't come from within the man. It didn't come from within the town. It came from Christ's shining the light on the demons or the sin found in this man and dealing with it. So our text is obviously illustrating Christ's power in these matters. But what about his purpose in doing so? That's where I think we can take encouragement from as, as redeemed people. What, we, we see that he has this power and he has this authority, but why? Why would he do it? What is his purpose? You know, what was his purpose in curing this man? Or more importantly, what was his purpose in curing our sin? 
so, so that we have a great little belief system that we can go, yes, I grew up in the South, so sure, I'll check here and check there. What is his purpose in curing this problem of sin? Look in verse 35 if you still have your Bible. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. It's unbelievable um, the transformation that took place in this man's life. Uh, One of the commentators, as I was reading, uh, a man named Daryl Bach, he comments on this text by saying this, and listen, I think this is a great assessment of the situation. In a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor, he is now clothed, whereas before he had been naked. He is now seated, whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associating with others as he sits at Jesus' feet, whereas before he sought solitude. He is now of sound mind, whereas before he had been crying out in a loud voice. He is now comfortable in the presence of Jesus, whereas before he wanted nothing to do with him. Let me apply this to your life by saying this, because have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen the effects of Christ's saving work in the lives of others? And not that salvation is some magic potion or it's a magic prayer that you sprinkle on and it relieves all struggles and it relieves, it relieves all weak areas of sin. But have you seen that change in demeanor, that change in will, that change in life? Is that true of your conversion? But here's the thing I don't want to do. I don't want to focus just on what we're saved from. I don't want to, you know, in this text, focus just on the the ravaging effects of sin that this man had dealt with. What was he and what were we saved to? Again, the question I posed, what was Christ's purpose in finding this cure for sin? And here it is. Here's what he was saved to. And we see it clearly. He's sitting there worshiping. Here's what we see. We see the worship and the enjoyment of God through Jesus Christ. That is his purpose. This man was once naked and now he's clothed. Guys, we were once naked and now we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What a vivid illustration. Even think back to Genesis 3. Remember after Adam and Eve had messed up, fallen into sin? What did they do? They went and ran and hide because they were naked. They went and hid. But then what did God do? He graciously clothed them. Guys, God has performed this same work through through His plan of salvation through Jesus Christ in our own lives. Guys, the effects of sin are no match for the effects of Christ's saving work. We're no longer naked and exposed in our sin. What a gracious thing. So we've seen this movement. We've seen the effects of sin and how ugly it looked, you know, just very clearly in this guy's life. We see that Christ's saving work completely transformed and changed that and that sin had no authority whatsoever over Christ. And then the last thing I want to look at is this. We see the effects of missions. And before you go, wait, what in the world? That's out of left field. Where is he taking that? I want you to hear me out. You see, verse 26, it gives us a little bit of geography. And you might not be familiar with these regions and whatnot. But it says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Here's what that means. This region that Jesus had found himself in was primarily a Gentile region. It was primarily Gentile country. And so what was Jesus and his crew doing in this Gentile region in the first place? You know, why amongst all of this uncleanliness and, and, you know, the pigs and and, and a demon-possessed man and Gentiles, why were they there in the first place? 
Well, guys, this is his purpose in coming to earth as a man. Later on in Luke um, 18, I believe, Luke tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And that's what he's doing. He was seeking out sinners. Guys, the life application is easy for you. Is that what we do? Is that what we do? Do we model, do we, do we follow this model as people who have been restored to explain where that restoration came from? See, Jesus going to this place didn't make much sense to a lot of people probably. And you know, when I thought about that concept, I thought about earlier this February, I had the unique opportunity to go to India. Went to India with a medical team and I was still Never understand why they trusted me with sharp objects in my hand, but they did, and it, it seemed to work out fine. But I had the privilege to go and be with these doctors and these dentists, um, serving in such a unique and such a, a humbling and a cool way. And I sat back and I go, you know what? If I wasn't a believer, if I wasn't a believer, I would go, why are they doing this? It makes no sense. Why, why would successful American doctors or dentists fly to a terrible place, a dirty place, to do this. And I know many would say, oh, but, you know, it's for humanity and giving back and helping out. You know, the non-believing world would say, oh, well, that's a good thing because you're helping humanity. But I go, you know what? As a non-believer, it just wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense apart from a conviction to in some way take truth to a sin-afflicted people. And that was the desire of those doctors and those dentists. That's why it made sense. So not only do we have this model of Jesus was going out of his way to minister to these sinful people, and what a motivator for us to do missions. But guys, perhaps one of the most captivating things that we find in our text is Jesus' response to the man after he'd been healed. Look, let me read it as it unfolds in verse 38. The man for whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You see, Jesus' mindset was so missions-oriented that he didn't request that this guy come along with him and be his campaign manager. He didn't request that this guy come along and be a bodyguard. Here's what he told him to do. Go home. Go to your home and do missions. Go to your home and live a life and with your words, tell exactly what took place. Go home and do that. Guys, how important that we have insight in looking at that. And and here's just a couple of several things I think we can be taught really about missions concerning that text. One is this true missionary work begins at home. True missionary work begins at home. Second thing is this, the man is taught to point to God for his provision. He's not taught to go, yeah, it was great, and I went up, and I just, I really, I had the courage to go up, and it was cool, the demons left, and it was really funny seeing these pigs fly over the mountain, and, you know, they drowned, and yeah, it was me. He was taught this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And third, and perhaps the greatest thing that we see by Jesus' response to this man is the cause of missions. It's the purpose, it's the cause. And here's what it was, it was a love for people. And a love for God's glory. Look, Jesus was even loving to those who had told him to leave. The group of people, they go, what is going on here? You need to leave. He was even loving to them by sending them a missionary. He sent a missionary back to them. 
Jesus was breaking down the power of Satan through doing this miracle and, and, and possibly fertilizing the soil for further advancement of the gospel. Here's what we can take. Guys, this man's conversion brought with it a responsibility to evangelize. It's very simple. It's very clear. Life application. Do we feel an urgency or even a need to communicate God's provision to others even when it's uncomfortable? What an amazing lesson. It made no sense that that, that Jesus would be in this region. It made no sense that he would uh, graciously send someone back to these people who had just said, go away. The love for his Father's glory and a love for people causes this desire to do missions rightly. Let me close by saying this. What I want to do in closing is look at the very shocking response of the people who witness all this stuff. It was very shocking because you think about it. Verse 37 tells us this. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. What? Had they really just seen Jesus completely heal this man who was ravaging them and ravaging their town and they told him to leave? Why? What was this fear about? You know, was it a, was it a healthy, a reverent fear? You know, this, this amazement of, oh, something great has happened here and we are fearful and we are amazed. Kind of like the disciples, you know, in the storm. No, it wasn't. Here's the point I want to make in closing. As they reflected on the great spiritual power that had been displayed, they feared that it would cost them something. They feared that it would cost them something. They looked to their left and they just saw some farmer who just lost a ton of pigs. And if you do research of this uh, portion of of this country, that was actually a, a huge way of revenue. That was a huge market. And a lot of pigs means a lot of bacon. And that means a lot of money for them. They were fearful because they thought that Jesus being there would cost them something. Here's the point I want to make before I close. Jesus' person and Jesus' authority and power brings about demands. Not just here in this story, but to, to, to the world that we live right now, to the culture that we live right now. His person and His authority, it brings demands with it. And some of those view those demands as freeing and as glorious and as worth wasting this life for. And others view it as scary and burdensome and uncomfortable. Friends, I close asking you to reflect on these three things that we've looked at. Reflect on the seriousness of sin. Reflect on how ugly that looked and your soul looked before Christ. Because when you really get how ugly and how serious sin is, you get how beautiful and how great grace is. Reflect on that. Reflect on uh, the power and the purpose of why Christ forgives sin through His death, through His resurrection. And lastly, reflect on our responsibility to communicate that through our words and through our deeds. You see, when Christ comes into the picture, He brings power and authority and demands. And I ask you, does your heart rejoice in that? Does your heart rejoice in that this evening like the restored man? Or does it tremble as the demons did? Let me pray over this. Father, we are grateful 
Lord, that through your providence you have seen fit to um, speak to us through your word. Lord, without it we are certainly lost. Without it we are certainly left to um, even laugh at our own sin and laugh at the seriousness of sin and not understand and not get it. Lord, we're thankful that you've been clear. Lord, we're thankful that your demands and what you require of us have been clearly laid out in your word for us, Lord, because we know and we understand that is where we find true life. Lord, I pray that we would apply things out of this text, Lord, to our own lives, and most importantly, that we would see that you're a God who's in control. Lord, that you sent a Savior who did things that we cannot do. Lord, and we thank you for that. Our heart rejoices in your salvation because you've been good to us, as your psalmist says. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that um, through your grace you would see it fit to use this to uh, build us up and to, and to communicate to others what it means to be worshipers, what it means to be redeemed from the effects of sin and put into service for you because of your saving work. What a beautiful and gracious picture. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.